And now, a message from Google. Cyber attacks on critical infrastructure threaten the essential services we all rely on. That's why public institutions like schools, hospitals, and government agencies across the country are partnering with Google to keep their data safe and secure. Because when organizations like these run on Google Cloud, they're defended by the same AI-powered security that protects all of Google. Explore how Google is keeping more Americans safe online than anyone else at safety.google forward slash cybersecurity. Hey, everybody, it's Anna Palmer from The Daily Punch. You are listening to the second edition of our special edition podcast, The Future of Cybersecurity. This month, we're going deep on the future of cybersecurity, just in time for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Did you get that? Cybersecurity. I'm going to be joined by senior congressional reporter, Andrew Desiderio, who's leading our efforts on this project. A big thank you to Google for making this podcast and product possible. In today's edition, we're going to be digging deeper into the legislative landscape when it comes to cybersecurity. Andrew, welcome. Hey, Anna. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get to it. Uh, the government uh, shutdown has certainly been taking up a lot of space uh, in our world, and we may be looking at another possible shutdown November 17th. So there hasn't been a lot of talk about bipartisanship, but I want to set the stage here because one of the things that I thought was most interesting about this uh, project and the second installment here is this isn't just Republicans all on one side of the, the field and Democrats on the, the other side of the field. There actually has been some real work to kind of cross party lines here. Yeah, I would call it strange bedfellows in many ways. Uh, one of the, the most prominent, I would say, frameworks for tackling artificial intelligence, for example, um, is from Senators Richard Blumenthal and Josh Hawley. They couldn't be more different. They both serve on the Judiciary Committee together. They've butted heads so many times. Uh, but they agree on an approach to regulating artificial intelligence, creating a new oversight body that can help audit some of these tech uh, platforms and and monitor them more closely as they develop into the future. Um, but as you mentioned, bipartisanship hasn't been uh, a, a theme of this, this Congress so far this year. Um, and that's why there are serious doubts about what Congress can actually accomplish uh, on this issue, even though cybersecurity in general, not just AI, but cybersecurity is generally, I would say, nonpartisan because many of the people working on it, um, again, are, are people who know, are not usually aligned politically, ideologically, um, and they're doing this on committees and entities in Congress that are historically more bipartisan than others. Right. Take the politics out of it in some ways and think about kind of just the future of the U.S., the role of uh, cyber in general. You mentioned AI. Uh, artificial intelligence certainly has been kind of one of the major areas of focus of this Congress, uh, particularly where you have um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer leading the effort, trying to not only kind of figure out what is the art of the possible, but also it's been a real education campaign, right? We had the forum, you had a bunch of CEOs, um, you have a lot of different folks trying to understand the impacts that AI could have when it comes to the future of American exceptionalism. When you think about the future of competition, uh, workforce issues, what are you seeing when it comes to AI uh, at the legislative level? Yeah, so we were just talking a little bit about one of the many proposals here. Uh, this one's from Senator Blumenthal and Senator Hawley. But um, again, this does not fall along party lines. Uh, on the other side of this issue, you have some more libertarian-minded conservatives 
who argue that an approach whereby you set up an oversight body, a regulatory body, uh, could lead to overregulation that stifles innovation in the end. And of course, innovation and the changing workforce and creating new opportunities for uh, the American workforce are some of the drivers of, of this effort. Uh, there's this worry among some conservatives that new regulatory bodies could be used to infringe on Americans' First Amendment rights. Uh, I want to read you something that uh, Senator Ted Cruz told us in response to all these efforts. He is the top Republican, of course, on the Senate Commerce Committee, which will have uh, a big say in all of this legislatively. He said, quote, let's be clear, AI is computer code developed by humans. It is not a murderous robot. Unfortunately, the Biden administration and some of my colleagues in Congress have embraced doomsday AI scenarios as justification for expanded federal regulation. So you see there the argument, the tra more traditional conservative argument, which is that, you know, government regulation is not good. Government getting involved in general in these things is a bad idea. But on the other side, you see a lot of the more populist conservatives, people like Josh Hawley, saying the opposite, saying that this has the potential to wreak havoc on the American economy, uh, harm the American worker, uh, not to mention potentially give foreign adversaries an avenue to inter interfere in our elections and in our financial markets, and that it's necessary to set up a federal oversight body uh, when it comes to this. So um, that those are some of the, the main proposals we're seeing right now, but again, this is going to be a, a whole of the Senate effort in terms of the committees, in terms of members and committee chairmen working on this issue. Um, it's not going to be just one committee or, or one group of people. Leave it to Ted Cruz to have the uh, quote uh, that certainly gets the heart of the issue. But I do think it's also interesting because so often when there is advancement in technology, you know, different industries say, hey, like, don't regulate us, don't stifle us. But you have seen a general openness and willingness by many uh, tech executives as well as different players in the industry to say like, hey, actually, you know, we want to get in front of this. And part of that is also the whole issue of, you know, is Europe going to move faster than the U.S. on this? And how do how does this country continue to be a place where uh, the tech revolution, you know, uh, kind of started here? They want to continue to have it be a place uh, that is friendly to that. So going to be something very interesting to watch. I want to shift gears a little bit uh, to the 2024 election. Hostile foreign governments. This is something that's been kind of more of a traditional, as much as we focus now so much on AI. Um, that's really where I think, you know, where you started to get a lot of bipartisanship on the legislative front, because uh, when you look back at this, the last uh, couple of presidential elections, this has been a, a big fear and, and, a, and a big issue. Yeah, I think when you look back to 2016 in particular and how the Russian government was able to really infiltrate uh, American society on social media um, and drive these false and divisive narratives, uh, it, it was it was pretty successful on their part. And what they're trying to do is make uh, make sure that t that 2016 doesn't happen again in the form of some sort of artificial intelligence development. The main thing being uh, the prevalence of deep fakes. Uh, these are things you've probably seen them everywhere on the internet, on on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, wherever. Where it's a a famous person, whether it's, it could be Joe Biden, Donald Trump, or a famous actor or actress, um, and it looks like them. It, they say it sounds like them. It sounds like they're saying what they're saying, but it's completely fake and made up. And it tricks people. And what you know, folks like Senator Mark Warner, for example, on the uh, who chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, are worried about is the idea that deepfakes could be exploited by hostile foreign powers to again drive these divisive and false narratives in American society, in American politics, and then have an undue impact on American elections. 
All right. And another area when you talk about deep fakes, uh, this is a little bit different, but the legislative activity that we actually saw in the beginning of this year where there was so much movement on was social media regulations, in particularly TikTok uh, and it, even TikTok CEO testifying before the House in March. There was multiple different proposals that were on kind of a, an entire kind of scale uh, in terms of trying to regulate uh, TikTok, but even more broadly, having more of a regulatory framework there. It, that seems to kind of have fallen off in terms of at least momentum. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, immediately after that hearing that the House held with the TikTok CEO back uh, earlier this year, there was really a bipartisan uprising, I would say, a desire to uh, restrict TikTok's use in the United States or even outright ban it. Um, and to be fair, many people thought that that could actually happen at the time because the outcry was so uh, so prevalent, so bipartisan. Um, and what's happened since is that really that has died down. Uh, the legislative proposals have really not been discussed in any serious way ever since then. And, you know, people, a lot of people we talked to for this project don't want to say this openly and on the record, but part of the fear here is that you are going to be restricting access to a an application, a social media platform that is so ingrained in American society. Uh, 100 to 150 million Americans use it uh, on a daily basis. Um, that is a huge number of people. There are obviously uh, teenagers who use it, and there's an effort to, uh, to sort of regulate uh, some of the content that teenagers can see. Uh, and view uh, and share on the app as well. But, you know, politicians don't want to be responsible for, uh, even if it's for good good reasons, they don't want to be responsible for taking something out of somebody's life uh, that they view as essential to them. And of course, we see all this lobbying cash, all this money being spent on these ads uh, that TikTok is driving and, and their uh, their allies, which say, look, all these, there are so many people that use this app actually for good, for to create small businesses, that, that it's how they, they sustain their livelihoods. And I think that uh, a lot of that has weighed on lawmakers, even though they're not necessarily uh, ready to admit that. All right. And one last area that I think is important that we touch on, of course, is the legislative discussion uh, because there's a deadline. Whenever there's a deadline, Congress uh, usually you know acts or, or doesn't act sometimes. But there's a deadline that Congress has to reauthorize a controversial foreign surveillance surveillance program. Talk a little bit about the program, what the issues are, what the likelihood you know could be that Congress does take this up in the crunch before the end of the year. Yeah, so Congress is going to have to re-up this somehow or else it lapses at the end of this year. This is Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, uh, known, as, known as FISA. Um, on the Hill, it's just abbreviated. Everyone just says 702 and knows what people are talking about. So I'll just say 702 here to be to be uh, brief about it. But essentially what this is, is a, a program, a, a government surveillance program that allows the federal government to obtain phone records, uh, other data, uh, text messages, internet data from foreign individuals uh, that may be planning uh, terrorist attacks in the United States. The, you know, the, the officials uh, in the government uh, under Republicans and Democrats alike have talked about how crucial this tool has been over the years to stifle terror attacks. Uh, the problem is that everything it does is conducted in secret, and there are real concerns about infringing on American civil liberties 
and Fourth Amendment rights. So this is another area in which you have some strange bedfellows joining forces. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden and Senator Rand Paul, for example, have been big on the civil liberties aspect of this. Uh, you know, they, they really want to um, curtail the program, make sure that Americans' data isn't getting caught up in this, uh, which has happened many times before, because in some of these FISA reports, uh, even members of Congress have been mentioned, not by name, but it says a, a member of the United States House of Representatives. And obviously that person is an American citizen. So these lawmakers are saying, hey, why were you able to collect information on an American citizen? That is not the intent of this law as written. Um, so what we had recently was the the, pri the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, which is an in independent government watchdog, uh, released a report on this. Uh, and they they, they basically said, yes, 702 should be reauthorized, but with significant reforms to protect Americans' privacy rights. Um, and I think that is going to be the, the, the at the heart of this issue uh, at the end of the year. You're going to have the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Judiciary Committee leading the way on this. Uh, you're going to see, again, as we mentioned before, some strange bipartisan couples on both sides of this issue. Uh, you're going to have national security hawks that say this program is so important that we should not curtail it, even if there uh, there is a hint of maybe we might collect data from American citizens. That is not the intent of the law, of course. It is to collect data on foreigners. Um, and on the other side, of course, civil liberties advocates, people like, as I mentioned before, Ron Wyden and Rand Paul, uh, want to do everything they can to make sure that the data of American citizens is not swept up as part of this program. Certainly going to be interesting to watch and see what happens there. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. We appreciate it. And thanks all to all of you for joining us for this special edition of the Daily Punch podcast, the future of cybersecurity. If you like the Daily Punch, please share it on social media. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. We'll be back next week with the third installment of the future of cybersecurity podcast focused on the players, who, should be, who we should be watching, what they're pushing, and much, much more. Thanks so much. Have a great day and stay safe.